Can you put your hands together and give God a shout of praise? Somebody say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Wave at somebody next to you or fist bump or elbow or handshake, whatever it is you do. And then you may have your seat. Hallelujah. I feel God this morning. That's why we come, right? That's why we gather is... There's just something about the assembling of God's people together. He shows up, doesn't he? Amen. I greet all of you online. We thank you for being with us this morning. We bless you in Jesus' name. I thank all of you for being in the house this morning. I was wondering if anybody was going to be here today. Because um, Pastor Rick is in Fort Worth this morning. He is preaching at Encounter Church for Bishop Gary Oliver, it's their 20th anniversary this morning, and uh, he's preaching for them. As a matter of fact, I believe he's either preaching right now or he is about to. Why don't we do something real quick? Why don't we just pray a prayer of anointing and blessing over him right now? Dear Heavenly Father, we love you this morning. We lift up our man of God. We lift up Pastor Rick to you right now. As he's there in Fort Worth, him and Miss Joe, we pray that a special anointing be on his life today. That God, as he begins to deliver the word to that house and those people, that it would be a word full of your anointing and full of purpose. God, I pray that that prophetic anointing that's on his life is going to push Encounter Church into new places today. I thank you that it may be their 20th anniversary, but they're just getting started. I thank you that because of this word, they're going to launch out into a new sphere and a new place. In Jesus' name, bless him, bless him, bless him. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, grab your Bibles and open them to 2 Kings chapter 4. We'll stand in just a minute for the reading of God's word. Just a few preliminaries as you're finding that. It's, it, I, I wonder if people even bring their Bibles. I'm looking around, and a lot of you do bring your Bibles to church. That's awesome. <laughs> Nowadays, we use our phones or we depend on the screen. Um, I, I say this a lot, but I have a relationship with my Bible. There's something about the book that... It's just a different uh, dynamic when I'm reading the book as opposed to reading the Word. I'm not saying there's a spiritual difference to it or anything. I'm just telling you how it affects me. <laughs> um, but there's a special uh, relationship I have with the book. Open to 2 Kings 4. I want to welcome my mom and my sister, Megan, and my niece and nephews. <laughs> my niece and nephews are in the house. You only see one of them because she's carrying the other one. But I'm glad they're here. Wave at everybody, Mom and Megan and guys. I'm glad they're here. They surprised me this weekend and let me know they were going to be coming this morning. I'm glad they're here. I honor Bishop in his absence. I was telling Chief before I came out here, it's always intimidating to fill in for Pastor Rick. Um, I'd rather preach at Megafest than preach for Pastor Rick <laughs> as it pertains to nerves because he's so incredible. But I'm, I'm always honored and I share in that anointing and I'm grateful for it. Uh, a couple more things. Don't miss tomorrow morning. It's the last day of the 21-day journey of the blessing. If you haven't picked up his book, go pick one up after service in the lobby. It's only $10. We're reducing the price from now on to $10. Um, so if you want to pick up that book, you can do that. Also, the T-shirts, I believe, are $10, and the long sleeves are $15, so they're on sale. But the most important announcement I have for you is you heard Pastor Rick before service on the video. Next Sunday, everybody say next Sunday. Next Sunday, he'll be preaching a message entitled, The House Blessing, and you do not want to miss that. I've been with Bishop for 30 years now, and whenever he preaches on the house of God, something happens. 
And I'm a testimony of taking that word and tying my house, my family, to the house of God and watching the blessing of the Lord come alive in your life. You do not want to miss next Sunday. What we're going to do, for those of you watching online, I know a lot of people have uh, come back to church to be in in in-person service. And when they got here, we were so packed, they were like, well, where's the social distancing at? (laughs) And so what we're going to do for next Sunday, so that as many can be here as possible, is we're going to add more chairs to the sanctuary so people can spread out more that really want to. But we're going to do that next Sunday. You don't want to miss it. Now, listen. In that service, two things are going to happen. Number one, we're going to bring a sacrifice, a house blessing to the house. Because when we give to God's house, God blesses our house. And so Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So we're going to tie our heart to the house of God and see a blessing manifest in our house. And then secondly, what we'd like you to do throughout the week is send in either a picture of your home or a picture of your family. And the reason we're doing this is not for a, like some kind of video presentation or anything like that. We're doing this as a physical representation of your house because Pastor Rick is, and the leadership of the church is going to pray a special house blessing over your house. And so we wanted something tangible uh, to, to, to be able to connect your house to this house. You don't have to, but we're asking that you do. And all you have to do is uh, check on Facebook. I believe you can email Crystal. Her email address is real easy, crystal at questchurch.com. So we're asking everybody to do that. Amen. Does everybody have 2 Kings chapter 4? Amen. Let's all stand for the reading of God's word. I'm excited about this uh, message this morning. I'm going to try to segue us from everywhere we've been throughout the last four weeks to next week. Um, But I'm real excited about this word. 2 Kings chapter 4, we'll begin in verse 1. I'm reading from the King James Version. Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha saying, your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant did fear the Lord. And the creditor has come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen or slaves. And Elisha said unto her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, your handmaid has nothing. Not anything in the house, save or accept a pot of oil. Then he said, go borrow the vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels. Borrow not a few. And when you are come in, you shall shut the door. Somebody say shut the door. Upon you and upon your sons. And you shall pour out into all those vessels and they and thou shalt set aside every vessel that is full so she went away from him and she shut the door upon her and upon her sons who brought the vessels to her and she poured out and it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said unto her son bring me yet another vessel and he said unto her there is not a vessel more So the oil stayed, or the oil stopped. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said to her, Go sell the oil, pay your debt, and live thou and thy children on the rest. We're going to take our key verses from verse 5 and verse 6. I'll read it this time out of the NIV. She left him and shut the door behind her 
and her sons. And they brought jars unto her, and she kept pouring. She kept pouring. She kept pouring. She kept pouring. And when all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. And he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. This morning, we're going to talk for just a little while on the idea of the flow of blessing. The flow of blessing. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you. We do feel you. We acknowledge you. We thank you for everything you've done in this service so far. We thank you for the worship, the praise, the announcements. God, we thank you for our pastor. We thank you for our people, our family. We thank you for this house. God, we ask you to speak today. Let your anointing be in here. Let it be resident. God, I pray you anoint my life. And God, as I speak, I'd speak your words, not words of ego or not words of cosmetic, but God, words that make a difference. I got, God, I pray for the spirits and minds of your people, that you'd help bring a change of mind, a change of spirit. Encourage and give hope in Jesus' name. God, we love you. We give you glory. And as always, we dismiss any generational spirit in this room. And we ask that you break generational curses in Jesus' name. Do your work today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Can you do me a favor and just put your hands together one more time and give God praise? Then you may have your seats. How many of you have enjoyed this series, The Blessing? The purpose of blessing, I'm just going to rehearse some things and kind of talk my way through the beginning of this before we jump into our text. Um, the purpose of blessing is fourfold. Fourfold, we've, we've been taught this throughout the weeks. Number one is to protect you from potential harm. To protect you from potential harm. The purpose of blessing is to project you out of your historical past and into your prophetic future. What that means is, is its intent is to break a mindset that would dwell on the past and give you hope and vision for the future and then in turn project you that direction to project you into your prophetic future. The third uh, purpose of blessing is to perpetuate your purpose in the earth. The blessing of God is his empowerment on your life to accomplish the purpose in which he sent you here to accomplish. You're not here by accident. No matter how you got here or what your journey of life is, there is a very distinct purpose to it. And the blessing of God is not so that you live in comfort. The blessing of God is to empower you to be sure that you accomplish the purpose for which you were sent, to perpetuate your purpose in the earth. The, the last thing is to prosper you. Somebody say to prosper you. The blessing of the Lord maketh one rich and addeth no sorrow. God does want you to prosper. Prosperity is wealth and peace, and wealth and peace does not mean we have a ton of money or a fancy car. Wealth and peace has to do with the way you live. We'll get into that in a minute. Pastor Rick has rehearsed this to us, that the war we are facing or the battle we are facing in the earth today, especially pertaining to the body of Christ, is not one of good versus evil. It's not one where it's good versus evil, but rather 
It's a war between the curse and the blessing. It's a war between the curse and the blessing. And we know this, that the blessing comes by way of communication or it comes by way of revelation or it comes by both. I would like to present this idea to you that you have to have revelation in order to really um, um, initiate or, or activate the blessing in your life. What do you mean by that, Pastor Josh? Well, Ephesians 1.3, and Pastor Rick hit this scripture during the week. Um, Ephesians 1.3 says this, Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. With every spiritual blessing in Christ. The blessing is spiritual. Let's say it again. The blessing is spiritual. God is a spirit. God is a spirit. And though Jesus manifests himself in the flesh and did walk on the earth, he was a representation of how you can activate your spirit with your flesh and your mind and create change in the earth. We are a triune being just like God is. We are spirit, we are soul, and we are flesh. But God is a spirit. And Jesus tells us when he's speaking to the lady at the well, at Jacob's well, he says those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The blessing and the curse are spiritual things. However, neither one of them manifest and perpetuate only by spirit. They manifest and perpetuate through mindsets and strongholds. Though they both come into our life or they arrive in our life by communication, they can only manifest in and through our life or be perpetuated in our life by revelation. Blessing comes by communication and revelation. Now, I, I said the blessing and the curse are spiritual. But here's something that I think is important, especially for Pentecostal Christians to understand. You can't rebuke a curse. Let me say that again. You can't rebuke a curse. What do you mean by that? I do that all the time. I hear preachers do that all the time. You can't rebuke a curse. You can speak a blessing against a curse, but you can't rebuke a curse. That's why when Pastor Rick prays before he preaches, he always says this, I dismiss or rebuke any generational spirits. And we ask you, Lord, to break any generational curses. You can rebuke a spirit, but you can't rebuke a curse. Listen. Mindsets must be challenged and changed before curses can be broken. You have to change your mind. You have to change the way you think. This is not the simple talk of, well, I pray that Jesus be my Lord and Savior 
And so the curse in my life should be broken. No, that's not what that means. That means the potential for that curse to be broken in your life is available to you. But I know plenty of Christians that are saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost that still live every single day up under a curse. Curses are broken through the change of mind. Through the breaking down of strongholds. Romans 12 and verse number 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. But be by what? The renewing of your mind. Now watch it continues so that you may know what God's perfect and pleasing will is for your life. So when you ask, I don't even know the purpose and the blessing's supposed to help me advance the purpose, how do I even do that? It starts with a transformation in the mind. It's awesome to come to this altar and cry your eyes out. It's awesome to have an experience with the Lord. But that experience is worth less unless you walk away from it and apply the change to your life. Now, I never said it was easy. I never said that, but it is necessary if you want to walk in blessing and see curse broken off of your life. Blessing is spiritual. Blessing is spiritual. Blessing is not a materialistic expression. I think it's important to know this. Blessing is not a materialistic expression. Blessing is a state of being. Blessing is a state of being. Genesis 1.28, when God, the first blessing, it's in Genesis, Genesis 1.28, and God blessed them, and the first thing he said that was the blessing was be fruitful and multiply. The key word there is be. In Genesis 12, when he blesses Abraham with a blessing, he says to him, you shall be a blessing. If you go to Deuteronomy 28, You'll learn, you know, that's, the, that's where God says if you do this, that, and the other, you know, you'll be blessed in the city, blessed in the field, blessed when you come, blessed when you go, all that. We all know that scripture, right? Well, that, that, what he's saying there is you will be a blessing. Thou shalt be blessed. You shall be blessed when you come. You shall be blessed when you go. Blessing is not a materialistic expression. It's a state of being. What does that mean? To be literally means to continue. To continue, to continue or to take on the characteristic of the subject of the matter. To take on the characteristic of the subject of the matter. Blessing is not a materialistic expression, it's a state of being. The blessing carries with it an expectation to increase. The blessing carries with it an expectation to progress. The blessing carries with it an expectation to be fruitful. It carries an expectation to flow, to be fruitful. Blessing has a flow to it. Somebody say, the flow of blessing. The blessing's intention is never to stop. The blessing's intention is never to settle down. Now, the blessing can be on you, but it's not trying to stay with you. 
I'm going to let that settle in. Because that sounds contradictory to everything we've been preaching. But, but it, I, I meant to say it, and I'm going to say it again. The blessing, though it may drop on you, it's not intended to stay with you. The blessing has a flow to it. Blessing's intention is to continue, be, or to progress. So now, throughout Scripture, you're going to watch God with his people strategically place a flow in what they're doing. I'm going to show you that. Throughout Scripture, you're going to see him strategically do this. Why? Because he wants to give them a picture of his intention for them. Because people have this... uh, We have this innate desire or this innate characteristic within ourselves to accomplish and stop or to get someplace and what we're looking for is more comfort or what we're looking for is a place of more satiation or whatever the case may be. And so Adam and Eve are in the garden of Eden, right? God placed them there. God blessed them first and then he placed them there. But the Bible tells us in Genesis 2 and verse 10 that there was a river that flowed out of it. And out of that river there were four head, uh, head, what is it, what's the word? Headwaters. Who uses that word? Not me. So there's there's a river that flows out of it. The word river right there in Genesis in the Hebrew literally means a stream or it means this, to sparkle or to be cheerful or watch this, or to flow in blessing. And I'm not going to go there at all this morning, but I encourage you, go study the four headwaters that come from that river and the meanings of each one of them and what they produce. And they each produce something significant in your life. God's intention originally wasn't for Adam and Eve to be placed in this garden and yay. And we live in this grand utopian atmosphere. That's not the intention. And that's why preachers or people of God or whatever are always trying to get back to this, uh, this Garden of Eden mentality. Like, that's where we're supposed to be, living in some utopia. No, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. It was not an ending. It was a beginning. He blessed them so that he could start them. So God placed Adam and Eve in an environment designed for them. To walk in God's blessing. Are you with me this morning? I'm going somewhere. Trust me. Just stay with me. So he placed them in the garden or an environment so that they could walk in blessing. Now, walking in blessing isn't to say that that means you walk in wealth and prosperity. Okay? That can be an effect of the blessing. But that is not the purpose of the blessing. When one is walking in blessing, one is increasing and progressing in the assignment they've been given in the earth. Somebody say blessing has a flow to it. Blessing has a flow to it. So when the people of God are are in Egypt, they're under oppression. So they're not doing what God intended them to do. I want to stop and kind of share this idea. When God uh, chose a people, God did not choose them so that he could have them and forget everybody else. God chose that people because God always uses a person or a people to perpetuate his purpose in the earth. So the idea is what they have, others can have too, but I'm going to choose you to give it to you first so that you can pass it on. 
The problem with us as the people of God is we get stuck on the fact that he gave it to us. So now we want to show off what he gave us. Look at my blessing. But that's not what God, why God chooses a people. That's not why God chooses a person or a man or anything like that. God chooses a person or a people because he's trying to perpetuate his purpose in the earth. He expects you to pass it on. Somebody say blessing has a flow to it. So when the people of God are not doing that, he allows them to be brought into bondage in Egypt, right? And the Bible says that the more they were oppressed, what happened? The more they multiplied. Because if you won't be obedient to do the purpose he sent you here to do, he'll send trouble into your life to make sure that you multiply. So they're in Egypt, they're in bondage, and God, God looses them, right? He picks, he chooses a man, and he chooses Moses. And he raises, I don't have time to go through his history, but he chooses Moses. And he brings them out, right? And they get to a, a flow, I mean the Red Sea. They get to the Red Sea, and God opens it up miraculously for them. And they walk across, and the flow, I mean the Red Sea, crushes the curse. I mean their oppressors. God strategically places a flow at every point needed in the people's journey. And he does it for two reasons. The flow is either to carry the blessing to his people or separate the curse from his people. So they cross into the wilderness now, right? And now they can't get into the promised land because they're stuck in a stronghold or a mindset. And so God allows them to go through a whole generation of people before he allows them to go into the promise. This people was used to God dropping manna for them. This people was used to God dropping quail for them. They didn't have to work for nothing. They could wake up and the blessing was right there waiting on them. And the reason why is because that's how they there was years and years and years of this curse embedded into them. Because in the oppressed place, they were given what they got. Whatever, however hard they worked didn't mean they get equal pay for what they toiled for. It was just enough to get by. And so that's why they're able to survive in a wilderness because they got just enough to get by. But this time it's the Lord dropping it for them. And that's why they act out of character and they're really strange and they walk away from God and they build idols and they do all these things because they have a cursed mentality. So God can't allow this curse, it's a mindset, to go into the promise. So Joshua comes up behind Moses and he goes to another, I mean a river called Jordan. And the priests, the ones carrying the ark of God, step into this flow. And it was at flood stage, which means the flow was potentially dangerous to them. When it's at flood stage, that means it's really rushing. That means the lions are coming out of the thickets because lions like to stay in the thickets by the River Jordan. 
And so when it went to flood stage, the lions would come out. And also in that flow would be debris that came down off the mountain because that's where the flow came from. It came from the mountain. I'll leave it there. And so as this flow is coming, the priests have to take a risk. Do I stay in this curse or do I step into this blessing even though it looks like it may overtake me? And so these priests are carrying the ark of God, which the ark of God represents, it represents the presence of God. It's no light thing. It was, it was built of acacia wood, and, and it was covered in gold, right? So it was real heavy. It took four of them to carry it, and they had this weight on them. How many of you know the people of God are supposed to carry? We are a royal priesthood. We're supposed to carry that presence, and it's not so, so that we can say that the presence of God is on us. It's so we can get to moments like this where there's a whole people behind us that need to get to a promise, and we got to step in this blessing and let them know that this isn't there to hurt them. This is there to separate them from that curse some so they step in they cross over and sure enough there they are in the promised land somebody say the blessing has a flow to it the blessing has a flow to it they can't stay in the wilderness because they can't plant in the wilderness they can't stay in the wilderness because they can't cultivate in the wilderness this is why God dropped manna and quail for them because there was no cultivation there. They were sent into a promise because you can plant there. And when you plant there, you get a harvest. But you can't have a harvest unless there's a flow that's going to the root of what you're planting. So he takes them to a place that not only is blessed and is a promise to them and they're blessed, but he takes them to a place where they are plant, they can plant and produce fruit. They can actually, he puts them in an environment just like Adam and Eve where they can perpetuate the blessing he put on their life. But somebody say it takes work. It takes work. It takes work. It takes work. There's a flow. Jesus said this. Ye who believed in me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Shall flow. The blessing has a flow to it. James 3.10. Jesus' brother writes this. Out of the same mouth, how does blessing come? By communication. Out of the same mouth proceeds or flows blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be. Does a fountain or a flow send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brothers, bear olive berries, either a vine bear figs? So can no fountain or no flow yield both water, salt water, and fresh. What he's saying is you can't speak curse and blessing out of the same mouth. Somebody say that's a flow to it. A lot of times we get stuck in the curse because we can't get out of the pattern of talking a cursed language. And so the curse stays with us. And the blessing can't get in edgewise because we got the salty water in us. And we can't get no fresh water coming up out of the flow of our life because we got this curse coming up out of our mouth. The only way that, ha that changes is when you start changing the vocabulary of your mouth with blessing words and then the curse disappears. One day you show up and you're like, life is doing real good right now. And you wonder why and it's because you changed the way you talk. But the only way you can change the way you talk 
Revelation 22, we end scripture in Revelation 22. In the very first verse, we find the river of life. The river of life. And it's flowing. And it's flowing from the throne of God because blessing has a flow to it. Because blessing has a flow to it. So, we find this woman in 2 Kings chapter 4. And she's obviously gone through quite the tragedy. It doesn't set the whole thing up for us, but it does tell us a key, some key facts about her life. And because it does, we can use deductive reasoning to figure out she's going through it. So it says that she's a widow, right? Or there's a certain woman. Right? And she has kids. And her husband was a part of the school of the prophets. Now, what these were were men of God that, that sat or served under the prophet of the time, which in this case was Elijah. And these guys weren't rich. Neither was Elijah. These guys didn't have money. You know, they, were, they just did the work of the Lord. As a matter of fact, some theologians say in the chapter before this, you'll see that Elisha does these incredible miracles for three kings. Right? And you would figure that the king of Israel would say, hey, come be in my service and you'll be blessed for the rest of your life. We don't know whether that king asked him for that or not. We don't know that. All we know is that Elisha didn't do it. So he could have been asked and just said, no, I'm going to do what God told me to do. And so my point is that they weren't rich. So the only living she had was from her husband who worked for the school of the prophets. But he died. And so somewhere along the line, she ran out of everything. We don't know how long he was dead. All we know is she didn't have nothing. And the creditor showed up, which means she had to deal with him, whoever that guy is. She had to deal with that creditor, and that creditor told her straight up, I don't care who your husband was. It really don't matter to me. I really don't care your situation either. All I know is you owe me, and you're going to pay. How many of you know that's a miserable place to be? Sin likes to do that to us. It likes to show up and says, I don't really care your situation. You're going to pay this consequence. You're going to pay this debt. I'm, maybe I'm the only one that's ever been there. So the creditor shows up, and he asks for her to pay up. But here's the thing I like. I'm going to pull out a couple facts, and we're done. I hope somebody's being helped this morning. First thing I noticed about this woman is she knew where to go. She knew where to go. Didn't matter how, it, it was bad for her, but she knew where to go. Everyone needs a place they can go to and get a word from God. She didn't go to anyone, she went to the prophet. She didn't go to anyone, she was obviously, her life and household was connected to this. We could use the school of prophets and the prophet as a symbol of the church and the people of God. She knew where to go to get the word she needed for change. She knew where to go. Nothing replaces the house of God and the man of God in your life. All right, I'm going to step out there a little bit. So she knew where to go. I'm still talking about the blessing has a flow to it. Somebody say the blessing has a flow. So where did she go? She went to the man of God. Why? Because she knew that he had something that could change her condition. 
It's interesting that she thought I can go to this man to change my condition knowing that her husband probably didn't do too well or he wouldn't have been in debt. And if he wasn't doing too well, then maybe this guy wasn't doing too well and the whole school ain't got enough money to pay my debts or they're going to starve. I'm just thinking. So she goes to him anyway because she knows that if he speaks something, it can change my condition. All right, so last week, Pastor Rick spent some time on the curse and territories and mindsets and generational spirits. He talked about this at length, and I think it's important to understand a couple things. Number one, God intends for you to be blessed. We know that. God wants you to be free of any debt or, uh, uh, what is that, uh, the word? The word is debt, but I'm not talking about your money, okay? I'm talking about you owing something to the curse. That's what I'm talking about. God wants you to be free from that. He wants you to live a life and to live it more abundantly because he's depending on you to carry the blessing he put in you. So she goes to this man of God, right? And here's the deal. She knew the man of God could change her condition. He, he could change her perspective. He could change her mind. He can change her behavior. The idea of having a man of God or a house to go to and to grow in is to bring God's people to a revelation of who they can be and what they can do and how they can change the world. That was a mouthful. I hope you're hearing me. Maybe online you're hearing me. The reason God gives us a man of God and a house of God is because he wants us to change the way we think, the way we see, the way we act. Why? Because there's a blessing in us that needs to flow through us. The blessing has a flow. He expects us to be a counterculture. We don't do what we do for cosmetics. We don't do what we do to put on a show. We don't do it for that. We don't do it. We don't have Wednesday night service uh, because we're bored. Pastor Rick doesn't do Monday matters because he ain't got nothing to do on Monday. We don't do table talk on Monday nights because it's just a cool thing to do. No, that's not why we do what we do. We're not looking for the numbers. We're looking for the change. Because this isn't your ordinary uh, run-of-the-mill house. I think you guys have figured that out by now. We're not the cookie cut that you can find anywhere in America right now. We have a we have a when I say purpose-driven church, I'm not talking about Rick Warren's idea of that, even though that's great. That's not what I'm talking about. We are an apostolic hub for change in a territory. That's why when Bishop preaches about the curse versus the blessing, he's trying to change the mindset of a people because it's the people that make the difference. And so look what he tells her to do. He tells her, go borrow vessels. Go borrow vessels, right? He tells her, go borrow vessels. As long as there was a vessel, there was a flow. The word vessel in this context literally means a receptacle. A receptacle or an instrument. This is cool. An instrument of accomplishment. So he tells her to go get a vessel. All throughout Scripture, vessels represent us. Vessels represent God's people. Vessels represent people in general, right? Okay, so the vessel was purposed to be a receptacle of blessing. 2 Timothy tells us in chapter 2 and verse 21 that we are vessels of honor, sanctified, and useful to the master. 2 Corinthians 4 tells us concerning the power of God at work in our lives that we have this treasure in our earthen vessels, that we contain the power of God. But here's, here's where we need to watch it. Numbers 19.15 tells us this, that any vessel that's uncovered is unclean. 
any vessel that's uncovered is unclean. Why does that matter? Because that vessel becomes vulnerable to the environment. It becomes vulnerable to the atmosphere. The atmosphere determines the soil. The soil determines the harvest. If you're not guarded and you're not covered, the atmosphere will contaminate what's in your vessel. A lot of people, a lot of people walk around with a materialistic expression of blessing and say they're blessed, but they live a cursed life. Because they're not willing to get up under a covering and therefore they're not perpetuating anything. And what's inside their vessel is being contaminated. I didn't say they weren't saved. I just said they were contaminated with the atmosphere that's going on around them. And they can't live in nothing. The purpose of a covering, the purpose of a house, the purpose of a man of God is to put a covering over that vessel. To get between you and the atmosphere. So that the atmosphere doesn't spoil what's up inside of you. When you are... When you're wondering, why is my life producing such chaos and such cursed results? I don't get it. Ask yourself a question. Do I have a covering? Because any vessel that's uncovered is unclean. Somebody say, get in the house. That's why next week is so important. That's why it's essential for your house. That you are here or connected in some way next week. Why? Because my house being connected to this house matters everything to me. I need those kids to be covered. I need my wife to be covered. I need my life to be covered. Because I can't afford for what's inside this vessel to be called unclean. responsibility of the house is to get between the atmosphere and the vessel. You are not truly covered until you've changed the way you think. The teachings of the house, this is why Paul wrote letters to Corinthians and Ephesians and Galatians and the list goes on. He wrote these letters because the teaching of the house or the teaching of the kingdom or the teaching that comes from our man of God must infiltrate our thought processes. It can't be cute. It can't be fun. It is all that. When Pastor Rick preaches, it's exciting. There's nobody like him when he preaches. And I know I'm bringing it personal because this is our house, right? This is Quest. That's why I'm bringing it here. But there are men and women of God all over the country that represent what I'm saying right now. You know why? And I'm going to take a, 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 little, a little rabbit trail here. You know why? Because God called us individually. Right? So some are called doctors. Some are called lawyers. Some are called whatever it is you're called to do. It just so happens that he's called to be pastor. He's called to be man of God. And others like him that run houses, the reason they're called to be that is because God chose them to relay the message. Y'all missed it. I'll leave it there. The teachings of the house must infiltrate your thought processes. Genesis 1, we know that the Spirit of the Lord hovered over the face of the deep, right? It's the same picture as covering the vessel. If the Spirit wasn't there, it would have been an uncovered vessel. And because it was covered, when God spoke, things happened. The Word produced in their lives. So she knew where to go. Somebody say she knew where to go. She knew where to go. Behold how good and how pleasant it is 
for the brothers to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head that runs down. It flows down. And because of it, there is a commanded blessing. A blessing you don't have choice. I need to hurry up. I need to hurry up. So she knew where to go. And then here's, here's what else. She just did what he said. She knew where to go. And she just did what he said. She just did what he said. He didn't perform the miracle for her. He didn't bail her out. He didn't pay her debt. All he did was give her an instruction. He gave her a word, and she just did what he said. The question is, what do you have? Too many people that need and ask for help don't want to do what it takes to get out of the place they're in. They want you to help them the way they want you to help them. They're okay with you doing the work to bail them out. She didn't approach with an attitude of entitlement. It's not what she did. She approached because she knew there was a word she needed that could get her out of where she was. No excuses. No victim mentality. She didn't say, I don't have any vessels. I just have that one. She didn't say, my neighbors don't like me. We had a fight last week. She didn't say, what if they say no? What if they reject me? She didn't say that. She didn't say, I can't carry all of those vessels. She didn't say, my house doesn't have room for it. She didn't say it was going to make a mess. She didn't make any excuses. She didn't say, what if the creditor comes back while I'm doing this? She didn't do none of that. The victim mentality will always avoid responsibility, will not seek solutions, has a sense of powerlessness, negative talk always coming from their mouth. They self-sabotage all the time. They have a lack of self-confidence. They're always frustrated or mad, and they're filled with resentment. Everybody goes through something, so you're not special. You're not special because of what you went through. Everybody has a story up in this room. I might be stepping on some toes, but I'm trying to help you. I'm not condescending to you. You've been through some things, yes. Life gets hard, yes. But I'm trying to help you right here. Your, your story ain't special. Everybody's gone through something. Everybody's gone through something. I break that in Jesus' name. You got to come up out of that mindset that I'm so special that I need you to bail me out. Don't allow your circumstances to define who you are. That's not what says who you are. Whatever you're going through, God trusted you to go through that. We know that all our days were written before one of them came to be. So up in heaven, in eternity past, he showed us the whole story. And we said, you know what? I'll do that. You agreed to it. You agreed to it. And you're here in it now. Stop complaining about it and stop cursing your crisis. That is not who you are. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. You are more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus who gives us strength. Whatever is coming your way, you know what? It's going to work for your good because we know that all things work together for the good of them that are the called according to his purpose. Don't allow your circumstance to define who you are. She just did what he said. 
She just did what he said, and she included her family. She included her family. She got her boys to go get these jars or these vessels for her. She didn't assume she could do this on her own. Most of the time, what you got to do to get up out of the curse you're in, you can't do by yourself. And a lot of times people try to do that because they're just so proud that they're not going to ask somebody else for help. The help you need ain't a handout. The help you need is a change of mind. And sometimes you need to get up next to somebody to get that change of mind up in your life. She didn't think she could do it on her own. And you know what? It takes work. It takes work. And she showed her kids how to work with what they have. She showed her kids how to be obedient to the word of God and to work with what they had. And they got to witness a miracle because of it. We don't raise kids with a work ethic no more. We don't raise kids with a work ethic no more. We let them get spoiled and we give them everything that they want. And we just think that's just because we're blessed. They need to not know how to work so hard. You know what? Sometimes your kids need to learn how to work for it. Spoiled kids become entitled adults. And entitled adults make a mess of everything. It's everybody else's job to take care of me. Somebody else needs to do this. It's not my responsibility to handle what I'm going through right now. It's their fault I'm facing this. So you need to give me this so I can have that. Don't enable your kids to live a life of dysfunction by spoiling them and making them rotten and growing them into an entitled adult. Stop that in Jesus' name. You may be living right, reading the Bible every morning, praying. They can see you praying, but you teach them how to be entitled and you're not setting a blessing in that line. You're setting a curse up in that line. Shut the door. Somebody say, shut the door. She just did what he said. She just did what he said. She went in there. She got her family. She included them on what she, he said to do. He let them, he let, she let them know that they need to follow the word of God. And in, in following the word of God, she had to shut the door. So she shut the door. She shut the door on negativity, negative voices, toxic relationships. Past hurt, past rejection, past mistakes. She shut the door on that. She shut the door on unhealthy behavior. I'm shutting the door on that. I'm shutting this door, and I'm not getting involved in anything else until I have everything I need to get up out of this curse. She shut the door, and she started pouring. She started pouring. I'll say this and we'll, we'll get to the last point and then we are out. Obedience to the word of God will always produce blessing. Read Deuteronomy 28. That's all I'll say. Read Deuteronomy 28. The whole chapter. Don't just read the beginning. The beginning's the best part. The end is what is really rotten. And it's the longest part. But it'll show you. If you're obedient, blessing will live in your life. If you're disobedient, curse will take over your life. Obedient, obedient, okay. So she knew where to go. She just did what he said, and she used what she had. She used what she had. The curse wasn't that her husband died. The curse wasn't that she owed a creditor. That was the effect of the curse. 
So the curse wasn't that. The curse wasn't what she didn't have. The curse was an inability to recognize what she did have. I'm going to say that again. The curse was her inability to recognize what she did have. There's already a flow up in your house. I'm skipping a lot. I'm skipping a lot. There's already a flow up in your house. You have a flow within you. We read the scripture earlier. Jesus said, if you believe my word and live it, out of your belly shall flow. You have it up in your house. Don't neglect what God put in your hand. I'm going to slow down because I think this is an important idea to grasp here. And then I promise you we'll let you go. I don't mean to keep keeping you long. I feel bad about that. So you, you work with what you have. Jesus did it. He had 5,000 men, not including women and children with him, that were starving. And he worked with what he had. He grabbed some fishes and loaves and everybody got fed. Because there was a flow of blessing up in his life. He used what he had. In Matthew 25, he gives the parable of the talents. And he gave one ten, one five, one one, And there was, so here's the deal. Each had the ability to increase what they were given. Each had the ability to increase what they were given. And each had the expectation to increase what they were given. But one buried it because he didn't want to lose it. And what ended up happening is he lost it anyway because when he came back to the man that gave him the one, he said, I saved it, and I still have it. And because he didn't increase it, God took it away from, or the guy took it away from him and gave it to the one with many. Now, you might say that's unfair. No, it's not. That's the cursed mindset. A cursed mindset says that's not fair. Cursed mindset says that's not fair. No, you were given something. What are you doing with what you have? What we don't increase, we will inevitably lose. What we don't increase, we will inevitably lose. And we want to blame somebody for the loss, but it's our fault. We didn't increase it. What we have, here, here's the key. What we have increases best in our hands. That's why the prophet told her to do it. Because it was in her house. It was her oil. And it will multiply and increase best in her hand. Not in his. The blessing. We don't need what others have. I'll just say this and then I'll leave it alone. We need to recognize what we have. We need to recognize what we have. We need to recognize what we have. Stop looking for somebody else's flow. Stop saying, I wish I had that, and I wish I was like that, and I wish I could be this, and I wish I could sit there, and I wish I could have that job, and I wish I could have, stop saying that, stop saying that, that's a curse, that's a curse, stop saying that, stop saying, look at, let's see what I got, let's, and start calling that what you got blessed, and say, you know what, God gave me this, check this out, I got this, I may only have this much water, but I tell you what, when I drink it, I won't be thirsty. Because what you got, what you got up in your life is what's going to establish the flow of blessing for your family and your children and their children. Stop looking for something else. Stop trying to win the lottery. Stop trying to hit it big at Riverwind. Stop trying to do all that. I'm not saying it's bad or it's wrong or it's a sin. I'm not saying that. I'm saying don't depend on that. That's a crazy mentality. 
That's a crazy mentality to think that. Look at what God put in your hand. What God put in your hand, he gave it to you so you could prosper. You know what? Some of us aren't rich on purpose. God don't want us to be rich. Because if we're rich, we'll hang out with different people. And we can't do the assignment we were called to do because we're too high society. As long as there was a vessel, there was a supply. The blessing stops flowing when we stop pouring out. The blessing, the, the blessing stops flowing when we stop pouring out. She said, bring me another vessel. And the son said, there's not another one. And the oil stopped flowing. The oil stopped flowing. I want to encourage you. You are blessed to be a blessing. The minute the blessing stops flowing out of your life is the minute the blessing stops flowing into your life. The last thing that happened in this scripture and will be done is she, she knew where to go. She did what he said. She used what she had. And because of those three things, she prospered. She prospered. God's blessing multiplies and increases in our life when we allow the blessing he has entrusted us with to flow out of our life. I'm going to say that again. God's blessing multiplies and increases in our life when we allow the blessing he has entrusted us with to flow up out of our life. Malachi 3, verse 10. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse. Is this about money? No, but yes. Listen to this. This is the prophetic word to your life. All the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in my house. And prove me now with this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven. Listen to that. He didn't say open to you. I'm going to read it again. If I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there may not be room enough to receive it she poured till there wasn't room enough there was no more room for her to receive it no more because there were no more vessels left when you are in covenant with God and living according to his word he transforms you into a window of heaven a gate, an opportunity, a place, a portal that people can transcend out of the curse and up into a blessed life. And he pours you out. And when you get poured out, you are a blessing. We teach too often that you're supposed to tithe and give offerings so that God can bless you with all kind of money and all that. That's not what it's about. You get into covenant with God through your tithe, through your house, through your man of God. We do that because you are, you are a blessing. You shall be a blessing. And he has the expectation that it increase. And the only way that can happen is through a flow.
So I'll stand. Rivers. Excuse me, I'm sweating. A lot of people look at where they're at in life. They look at it as a, a no way out, no win. If you only knew the story, I just don't know how I could bust up out of that. Or maybe you look at your life and you say, I'm not that significant. I'm not that important. Uh, it might be a word for somebody else, but it's not a word for me. The interesting thing about any river is its current. It's current, the way it flows. If you go to Louisiana and you go look at the Mississippi River, you can't even jump in it. You can't swim in it. The current is too strong. It'll kill you. You will die if you jump into the Mississippi River because the, river, the current is too strong. But if you go up to, uh, it's either Minnesota or Michigan, I'm not sure which. It's one of those two states. But if you go up there, you can find where it starts. And you know what? You can just step right over it. Because every flow starts somewhere. And the idea is that it will increase and carry life with it. So there may not be a whole lot of life at the front end of that. But when you get down toward Louisiana, man, you ever eaten the seafood in Louisiana? Shut your mouth. There's some life up in that thing. Stop cursing where you're at. Stop condescending to where you're at. Stop looking at the mindset you have or the experiences you have and say, I just can't. It's, I'm too small for this. I've gone through too much. No, 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 no. Get that mindset up out of your life. Let this word the word that's been coming forth from this house over the last four weeks, five weeks, become alive in you and shed that mindset in Jesus' name. I want you to lift your hands right now all across the sanctuary. We're not going to have an altar call. Right there where you're at is your altar. I want you to lift your hands and just begin to, you know what, guys, just begin to worship God. And I want you to press in for just a minute. Ask God, what do I need to do? God, I need your help to change this mindset. God, I need you in my life right now. God, I can't walk in this curse any longer. I'm sick of the lack. I'm sick of the trouble. I'm sick of the turmoil. I'm sick of the mind games. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of feeling crazy because of what I'm going through. I'm sick of taking pills. I'm sick of it, God. I need you in my life. Break this curse off me in Jesus' name. You know what? I changed my mind. If this is your word, come to this altar right now. If this is for you, if you said, you know what? I need some curses broken up off my life. I need you to come down to this altar. God is going to touch you in a powerful way. Come on, don't be scared. Come on down. I know I'm not Pastor Rick, but it's not about me anyway. It's about what he's going to do for you. Come on now. Come on, lift your hands and cry out to the Lord. 
He's the one that breaks those curses. He's the one that does that. This experience sets a tone for where you get to go. I speak blessing over you and no more cursing in Jesus' name. You are the head and not the tail. You're not supposed to be underneath. You're supposed to be on top. Come on, we don't come in this room just to be entertained. We come in here to feel God. God is doing something. It may just be for this group, but God is doing something. People of God, you need to pray. 